So I gave you credit for, for my idea? Yes, you did. How magnanimous of me. You are such a giver. I'm Christina. I'm Caroline. And this is Gravel Trap F1. The Baku Grand Prix was surprisingly uneventful. But the new sprint was pretty lively. Today, we'll dive into the Baku street circuit itself and explore its history. At the checkered flag, our producer Buck has compiled a list of hypothetical F1 format changes for us to debate. Let's go. talking about a track before the race there's always this laundry list that we kind of go through of what drivers expect how we anticipate the race going and we use all of these adjectives to describe a track it's quick it's got like the handling and so today we're going to discuss track features and then take a look at how those play into Baku and why we describe it as such a technical track Mm. so first off the bat Anytime you're thinking about something on the track, the big questions you want to be asking yourself are, how is this going to affect temperature? Whether that be on the track, whether that be the tires, the brakes, how is it affecting the temperature? But also, how is this moving the car? So those are the two big questions to to kind of keep in mind as we go through this laundry list. So whenever we're looking at a track, it's a combination of straights and turns. And how long is the straight? Is the turn tight and narrow or is it long and sweeping? And those are pretty big concepts. Well, not big concepts, but they're core concepts because the longer a straight is, the more speed you can gain, right? That means your tires are going to warm up, but it also means that there's more air gliding by your brakes, cooling them down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that makes Baku really unique is that it has that 2.22 kilometer long straight going into a 90 degree turn. Is that the longest street circuit straight? I feel like I read that. Yes. Okay. Yes, it is the longest straight, and it's a third of the track. Like, girl, I felt like it when I was watching Max just breeze past Charles. I was like, man, this is a long straight. (laughs) Exactly. And so that's one of the things that does make the track unique in that aspect. It has Mm -hmm. just such a long straight, so much speed, and only part of it is in DRS. Mm-hmm. And they did reduce it by 100 meters, I want to say, mm-hmm. this this time around, which, you know, they thought that it would slow down the Red Bulls, probably. But it also slowed everyone else down, which is yeah. probably a little bit detrimental at that end. Yeah. But moving on from straights, we also have the turns. And the big thing is how much speed are cars able to keep into the turns? Mm-hmm. Because that's going to put more pressure on the car. That also puts more pressure on the tires. typically also on one side of the tires compared to the others. Mm -hmm. So whenever you're looking at a track, you're also comparing how many left-handers to right-handers are there because that's going to change the challenge that the teams are having. Which tires are they actually watching out for? Are all of the tires going to be wearing out evenly Mm -hmm. or is one specific tire or two specific tires going to be getting more of that heat than the others? Yeah. Okay, speaking of tires, what Mm -hmm. was the tire rule for the sprint race for the qualifying yes yes yeah so for qualifying they made the rules so that way in sq1 and 2 you had to use new mediums gotcha and then in the third round you had to use new softs which is why both Mm. sonoda and norris 
if Sonoda had made it through and Norris did make it through, but mm-hmm. they could not have participated in that session because they didn't <gasps> have new softs yet oh, left. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So if you go back and you rewatch it, Norris is automatically intent. He actually doesn't participate in that third session. Yep, yep, yep. And I'm kind of wondering if that's a rule that they're going to enforce and have permanently for all the rest of the sprint sessions or mm-hmm. if it was kind of like a stopgap, because remember, they changed these rules so close to the actual race that Pirelli right. had already shipped out the tires. So there were only so many, so much control that they had over the situation because the tires were optimized for that last format. Mm-hmm. So you got to wonder, is Pirelli going to change what they ship out for the next rounds? Or are Pirelli and the teams and F1 going to chat and say, okay, what tire allocation are we going to use going forward are we going to change up those rules that we just introduced because right. i don't think that they're done fiddling with that weekend format like i i genuinely don't i think they're going to keep playing with it throughout the year quite frankly yeah they wouldn't put <laughs> that, that wouldn't many of the sprint races this season if they weren't trying to kind of tinker around and and work out the mm-hmm. kinks which i'm really excited that they're going to do it in austin texas mm-hmm. this year because i'm going to be there so i'm excited True. to be there for one very true. But circling back to track design, like one other thing you do have to wonder about when it comes to the track itself is the surface. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, the pretty basic one of is it especially designed for race cars? Is this a permanent track or is it a street circuit? And as well, has it been repaved recently? So right now they're repaving mm-hmm. all of Las Vegas because mm-hmm. they need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> they just, they need to do that. Yeah. And then moving beyond what the track itself is doing. Hello, Squeaks. But anytime something is trackside, you also have to wonder what impact it's going to have on the cars. So are there buildings right next to the track that makes it narrow? What runoff areas do you have? Is there potential for A, the car to get stuck, but B, for it to bring things back on track? Grass, it gets covering, it can cover the tires. So Pierre Gasly re-entering the track in Australia, he had grass all over his tires and that without a doubt, affects their grip. Anytime Alex Albon, his turnaround, gravel all over the track. So you do have to keep an eye out on those things as well. But buildings and trees also create shadows and shade. And that's going to affect how much temperature is in that track surface as well. And and then there's also some of the things that you can't actually physically see, which is the wind. You have to look up. Is, you know, are we expecting there to be wind this week? Or is it blocked by buildings anyway? So even Mm -hmm. if there was wind, it's not going to affect the cars. As well, one of the things that we rarely see, but that does come into play sometimes, is banking. And that's on the Mm -hmm. old school tracks where cars didn't have as much speed or downforce. So having those angle curves and not the road being perfectly flat meant that the cars could maintain speed. But again, with the banking, similarly to the kind of turns you have, it's going to affect certain tires more than others. That's right. And how much speed you can keep, because again, that affects temperature. Yep. Yeah, but all of those features come together, which is what makes Baku so unique because it actually has features that are kind of at polar opposite ends of each other. Because we see Mm. a lot of tracks that have long sweeping turns. And so what you need out of the car stays rather consistent throughout the entire thing. But with Baku, you have the long straight as well as a couple other straights as well in that first sector. Then the middle sector, you have narrow, winding, quick, 
high downforce areas where you need so much control out of the car, you need a lot of downforce. And then you have sector three where they're going downhill, which is mm-hmm. difficult to break in. And that's something I didn't mention either, but elevation changes. It can create a blind corner like you see in Spa. And yeah, you can go downhill and that can make it difficult to break. So that's right. All three sectors of this track really have unique qualities. And anytime you're adding downforce to the car, you're uh, also adding drag, which isn't great down the long straight. So there's essentially no good setup that's going to perfectly suit this track. It's nothing but a massive compromise. And Mm. you saw Alpine completely be sad this, like this whole weekend was like horrendously sad for them for a number of reasons. Yes. Yes. But part of it was they got the setup wrong. Like Mm. that was a comment I saw from uh, their team principal, Atmar. They got the setup wrong. And that's the kind of dire consequence you can have at a track like Baku. Because Mm -hmm. it has such high demands, but how, how do you balance it out? Yeah. How do you find like that happy place where you're accommodating to each of the different elements without mm-hmm. leaning too hard into one that would then impact the other? Exactly. Ooh, I'm glad I don't have that job. I feel like that would be a <laughs> high pressure job. It would be. Well, and anytime you're watching the race as well and they pull up that mini sector comparison mm-hmm. between two drivers and you almost perfectly see it divided between the long straights where the Red Bulls were dominating and all Mm -hmm. those tight, narrow, twisty corners where another car was doing better. Typically, they were comparing it with the Ferrari this weekend. Yeah. Except for on Friday during qualifying when it was just all Charles. Like, it was just all red. (laughs) That The one lap on that guy is, like, He can put together a lap now. My man Charles can put together a lap. I honestly, I think that him crashing out that one year, the I am stupid moment... Mm-hmm. I think oh, it we're going to get there. We're going to get there. <laughs> but yeah, I'm choosing to believe that the reason he's so good at it is that he's like, I'm never doing that again and obsessed over it and just like yeah. went to town on the stick. Hey, yeah. And you got to hand it to him. He doesn't make the same mistakes twice. Like they say, Ooh. I had a really great professor in college that would tell us, I don't mind if you make mistakes, just make better mistakes next time. Don't make the same mistakes. And I, I do feel like Charles has that proverb that that method mm-hmm. in his you brain. should study after a test as well mm-hmm. as before yes. for today's grand prix section we are going to go dive a little bit deeper into the history of baku and not necessarily the history of the city itself but the history of having a formula one grand prix hosted in azerbaijan it's actually not a long history it started in 2016 Bernie Ecclestone, who was the former, he was the head of F1 in 2016 at the time. He really wanted to get a race in Baku. And initially, what they wanted to do was create a stadium course that was just outside the city. But they changed their minds and decided that a street race would be best because it required less upfront costs so they could get it going. They brought the castle. Yes. Plus, we got to have, I mean, we've got to have some iconic, like, that's the beauty of taking this sport around the world is that you can highlight what the world has to offer, like Hard Rock Stadium. So, <laughs> <laughs> the painted waves, like the Miami Dolphins. So, that's the beauty of this sport. I did it, by the way. I sent Buck off screen laughing. <coughs> 
bingo card complete. <laughs> we need um, like a special graphic to go across the screen when that we happens. Do. Beep, we beep, do. Beep. Um, but anyways, they decided that the street race would be best because it required less mm-hmm. upfront costs. They brought on legendary F1 track designer Herman Tilke to aid with Herman. the layout. So he didn't build it because he didn't build Baku, but he aided with the layout of the race itself. And the brief actually that they gave him when they told him to like, go, go create the track. They wanted it to be like Monaco, but better. Mm-hmm. That was what that was all they told him. They said we wanted to be like Monaco, but better. Do you think that was achieved? Yes. Okay. Interesting. I I do think it differs from Monaco in that it does have those high speed sections. And where mm-hmm. it benefits is that it it's wide enough in some sections that cars can get alongside, that they can pass. Now, that didn't happen this year, but that's not the track's fault. That's the car's fault. Preach. Different, different problem. But that that's the main problem with Monaco yeah. is that it's not wide enough for this generation of cars. They got too fat. They need yeah. to slim down if they want to be suited to Monaco. Yeah. Yeah, that's a valid point. Was it an issue, though, back in 2015 – in Monaco, that they couldn't pass as well either? I I do think it's been a longer running problem for sure, but I, I'm, I don't remember yeah. a lot of specifics just, from Monaco. I'm, just, I'm trying to think of when they gave Tilki the brief, oh, if yeah. he was taking that into account or not. Yeah. But as a track designer, I imagine he also looks at it slightly differently than we do as spectators. Oh, for sure. That's the thing. Sure. He he has a magic mind. He's the Adrian Newey of like the tracks. They are superstars. But to bring it back to Baku, to bring it Baku to Baku. I'm gonna say that Baku. as many times as I can in this in this episode. I hope you guys know that. Yeah. Um, we need a we need a counter. Yes. Just like a little, a little like in the corner, a little tally. How many times style? has Caroline made a Baku or a Taylor Swift reference? Um, the counter. So, yes. So they, when they brought in Herman Tilki to aid with the layout, and they asked him to make it like Monaco but better, and then they launched the first Grand Prix in 2016, but it wasn't called the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. It was called the European Grand Prix, which is kind of ironic because they race all over Europe, but this one was the European Grand Prix. But they changed it the next year because I think everybody realized that didn't make any sense at all. And they made it the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. But in 2016, for the inaugural European Grand Prix, Nico Rosberg won. Nico. But, yes, our boy Nico. But uh, Barbie. They were, they were really worried when they were going into the first Grand Prix because the first GP2 Grand Prix, which is what – F2 was called then. It was done in, right? Am I right about that? I don't want to be wrong. Yeah, about no, that. no. It was okay, called GP2. Yeah. I'm just trying to remember which drivers right now are would have been in GP2 at the GP2 time that are on the grid. Yes. That's what my brain's thinking right now. It's like, yes. Oh, <laughs> Y'all like made faces and I was like, oh no. What's that wrong? That would have been the year that Gasly would have been in, in GP2, I think. Because he joined the F1 grid in 2017. Mm-hmm. So was that no. the year he yeah, won? Yeah, so 2016. He would have won GP2 in 2016. Yeah, that was the year he won. Yeah, so, so he would have been on that grid. And right. Involved. 
So ironically, the first, well, they were really, really worried going into the first European Grand Prix, which was held in Baku in 2016, because the first GP2 Grand Prix that was done in 2016 in Baku, which GP2 for our listeners, that's what Formula 2 was called before it changed to Formula 2. They had a ton of crashes in GP2 that year. Over half of the field retired from this first time around, this Baku track. So they were, I know. They were really worried about Formula 1 going there. But then by the time F1 was racing there, which was shortly thereafter, they only saw four retirements and all of them were due to mechanical failures. It wasn't even because of crashes and stuff. So then they were like, oh, Baku is here to stay. And it's, it's just difficult for F2, but F1, yes. they got it. The GP2 guys had to kind of, I mean, we saw it again this weekend. Clearly GP2, yeah. Formula 2 is not great in Baku. I mean, it is It's great, a little advanced for that yes, level. It's a little bit, it's a learning curve. I think it it's, it's the great divider. It's the tester. Well, but, even two out of three rookies crashed this time around. Yeah. Yeah. Like It's the gauntlet know. for Formula 2. If you can make it out of Baku, you have what it takes. You can make it there. You can make it anywhere. Yes. It's the New York City of circuits. <laughs> that are most definitely from New York. Yes. Um, Castle but any- Jungle. Where cars go crashing. All right. We're going to make a whole song. Anyways. <laughs> so in 2016, it was called the European oh. Grand Prix. They changed it in 2017. And since then, it's always been called the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. In 2017, Daniel Ricardo won with Red Bull. And fun fact about the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, only Red Bull and Mercedes have ever won there. No other team mm-hmm. has ever won there, despite other teams having been on pole, like we saw. This weekend with our boy, Charles. But uh, speaking of Charles, actually, he had a legendary run-in with the Turn 8 wall, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners know all about, when the iconic (laughs) quote that will live on in all of our minds forever and be quoted in our daily lives, I am stupid, I am stupid, was said. But here's here's my favorite part of that story. After it happened, because it happened in 2019, you had, we were, you were talking earlier about when the crash happened and how afterwards he had to get he had to have had so much drive and got in the sim and just drove all the time in the sim to get it right. There is a really great clip of him in the sim in his house. He was streaming, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think it was during 2020 when they were doing a lot of a lot of that the streaming because everything was shut down. And he was racing in Baku and he did the same exact (laughs) crash on the sim. But the best moment was that it happened. And then he looks in the camera and makes this face. That's like, yeah. And like, we all knew, like no one had to say a word. We all knew what we were all thinking at the same time. And he, the look on his face, I feel like just lives in a, in a happy little corner of my mind. It's amazing. Yeah, the self-awareness is fantastic. Yes. So, but good for him. He hasn't made that crash again. But yes, yes, this is the clip (laughs) with with his face. (laughs) We love you, Charles. We love you for your, your, we love you, Charles. We love you for your humility (laughs) and your ability to admit your mistakes and move on and make better mistakes next time. 
But anyways, that is just – that's one of my favorite kind of little Baku anecdotes on the side. Mm. But yeah, that's the history of Baku. It's still here. They've extended their contract for another three years. So we will be seeing them until 2026 or for the foreseeable future. And that concludes the Grand Prix section of this week's podcast. This week for our checkered flag section, we are bringing in our producer, Buck. He's going to be putting us through some hypotheticals in a little series we like to call Don't Take Debate. Hello, hello. Yes, for this week's Don't Take Debate, there's been a lot of talk all over social media and the non-social media about this new sprint format they put in and it's shaking things up Mm -hmm. and everyone's always got an opinion about how best to alter the format, make things more competitive. When we get into an era like we are now with a clearly dominant team, whether it was Mercedes era or now it appears to be a new Red Bull era, what can we do to make, I don't know, level the playing field, but make things exciting competitive, mm-hmm. keep it spicy. So here's some ideas that I've collected from around the world, history, uh, from pundits, experts, and just fans out there on the internet with their ideas. So we're going to start easy, and then we're going to get into some weird, complicated stuff. And let's hear what you guys got. First thing, reverse grids. And this is specifically for like the sprint. Yeah, this is, this is, a, this is an idea that's been bounced around I feel like I hear it all the time. Like, why don't we just do a reverse grid? Let's just do a reverse grid. Christina, what's your take? I don't like reverse grid for F1 purely because those cars have such a different pace. Mm -hmm. So realistically, do a reverse grid. You're going to have Red Bull in the middle of the pack, and it's basically just watching them pick off people lap by lap. So Mm -hmm. I don't think it necessarily accomplishes what people are hoping for it to do, which is give you good wheel-to-wheel racing, because in my mind, good wheel-to-wheel wheel racing is where a car can actually defend. And mm-hmm. people are actively choosing to not defend against the Red Bulls. We saw it with Charles this weekend. He said, no, my car is destroying my tires. I'm not going to fight the Red Bull. I'm just going to let them go by. Like, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. So realistically, doing the reverse grid thing isn't going to solve anything. With F2, when they do it, they're on the same cars. Yeah. And so it's an exercise in... Yes, you're really good at a one lap, but now can you practice and develop that skill of picking your way through the pack, mm-hmm. dealing with somebody who's defending in front of you, choosing the right time to do an overtake? It It's a different environment. Yeah. I got to say, I agree with Christina. I don't really think it's going to accomplish what it is that maybe theorists hope it will accomplish in F1 because there is such a discrepancy between the cars i mean i mean we see it we saw it when max had all of those penalties or whatever and he was starting p17 and then by lap 10 he was running p2 and i was like this is what it would be like if we had a reverse grid so it's It's, the same (laughs) yeah it it doesn't accomplish what people would be hoping for right at all okay all right so next one this one actually comes from me So bear with me. The sprint race, but not reverse grid, reverse track. You actually go the opposite way on the track for the sprint race. (gasps) That would be so chaotic. Okay, here's my question, though. I feel like I have a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. Because 
the direction of the track matters in a lot of like the curb placements and a lot of the safety barriers. So would that affect the track setup? I know there are some circuits that run both directions. And I don't think the racing line changes much, but you're right about inertia and direction, entry and exit of corners. Or do, do we need a tire barrier here? I don't, let's, in a world where they have the coverage and safety they need in either direction. In this hypothetical place where everything is safe. I feel like the real big difference it would make is just which side of force the drivers are feeling on their bodies. Realistically, it's not going to necessarily change the performance of the car unless you're going to one of those tracks where, like, imagine going downhill at Spa on that, like, giant thing. So I think it would be incredibly track-dependent on what qualities does it have. Because if it's a flat track with no real, like, the only difference you're taking is right-left, I think it would be very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be entirely track dependent on whether or not is it, it is successful or not. Because I've done that, by the way. Yeah. Spa. Oh. On, in the in the video game, you can turn off the mm-hmm. rules and just go to the other end of the straight and then <laughs> go down. It's 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 absolutely maddening. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, and the other yeah. thing that you would run into is if they were not that not that we really should be seeing a lot of pitting in a sprint race, but if they did, the pit lane is now completely reversed too. So you would see guys going to the wrong garages, but I don't know. I don't dislike it as long yeah. as it's safe. Like that's my thing. I'm like, as lo- if it's safe, I support. Uh, this one comes from uh, our uh, co-host, Christina. <gasps> this is, this is oh. an idea on- So Christina the- supports it. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> we were doing a TikTok live stream uh, to promote the show the, uh, the, over the weekend and the idea of a um, relay race for the sprint. So only it. 10 cars go out yes. and then you, I and love each, it. each driver has to have at least 40% track time minimum. Yes. And then you just do a relay, relay style race, 10 start, 10 finish. I love it. Team building. I love it. It's amazing. I think that's a great idea. I love it. I'm so on board. But here's my other question. Yeah. Does that mean that the engineer is the same engineer, the whole sprint race? Or do they flop too? Christina, it's your your idea? This was your idea, Buck. This wasn't (laughs) mine. Was it really? It was, this was, I thought you were going to bring up, because um, the only rule change that I'm like really, really gung-ho about is that arrow time should be dependent on your points, not on your position finish. Yeah. That's right. my big Which one. I agree. I agree. So I gave yeah. you credit for, for my idea? Yes, you did. How magnanimous of me. Uh, <laughs> you are such a giver. You're such a I giver. Like, I was really confused there for a second. Christina was like, wait like, a second, this is not my idea. Okay. <laughs> did I think I, I didn't think I did. I honestly remembered it as much as your idea. So all right. That being yeah. said, since it wasn't your idea, Christina, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I I do like the idea because again, it's adding that extra element of decision making. Which driver do you have take the start? Which drive do you have mm-hmm. driver do you have take the finish? Which tires do you put on which car for which part of the stint when do you swap them out Mm -hmm. like like 
you have to also try and guess which driver the other teams are having start and finish. Like, like that it introduces just a whole bunch of different decisions. And I love that. The more thinking these people have to do, the better. Um, all right. Here's where we get a little crazy. Mm-hmm. The first one is fuel penalty for winners. This actually comes from a Bleacher Report article from 2014. Well, one of the suggestions was basically at the after every race, you take the finishing order of that race. And for the following race, whoever won gets a percentage less fuel. That only and, helps them. Well, no, because they, they end up heavy. being underfueled and they would have to then throughout manage. the race manage their their fuel and couldn't go full beans, as they say, the whole time. They would actually have to worry about managing it. Meanwhile, the teams in, in the back, they can go full beans the whole time. And now you're trying to manage your fuel and keep an eye on your rear view. No. Because again, that type of penalty or it's not even a penalty, but that kind of restriction affects different teams differently. Like the Red Bull car just is fast on the straight and they get the same amount of fuel as everybody else currently. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I don't think that that would actually necessarily accomplish the goal of keeping the field close together. Now, if you won twice in a row, do you get double less fuel? Is it stackable? Yeah. I say no. no. If you're going to do anything like like that, I wouldn't limit fuel. I would limit yeah. DRS capabilities. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Limit from DRS the winner. Use. All right. So this comes from the same article. Mm-hmm. Bernie Eccleston was actually a huge fan of this apparently at one point. Okay, Bernie. Oh, goodness. Three car teams. I love this. Oh, yeah. Yes. So reducing the number down to like seven or eight teams and each team has three cars. I love it. Because I'm not a big fan of anything more than like more than 22 cars on track. Anything over that. Like I don't get IndyCar or NASCAR with their 40 cars on track. I I don't (laughs) understand that. I'm 27 this weekend for Indy. (sighs) So 22 is like a number I'm comfortable with. But yeah. So three cars per team. I like it. I I do like three cars per team. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, so, it it, yeah. it it makes the competition between teammates a little bit more interesting. Because when you just have two teammates, it's like they're fighting each other one-on-one. That's it. But mm-hmm. like the chaos of having three teammates. Then you have sides. You have people start picking sides. Gosh. Could you imagine how sad though it would be for all three Red Bulls to just be on the podium every single week? Okay, I was thinking, as he was was giving the suggestion, I had the thought, imagine if Daniel Ricciardo was in the Red Bull. Like, I take it back. But it would be entertaining. It would be entertaining because you know why? Daniel would be fighting with Max. Like, I honestly, and this is a hot take. I know this is a hot take, but I actually think that Daniel and Sergio would like team up. Little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Just like I think let's gang up on Max. And I know, I know that like Daniel and Max have this bromance, but Daniel on track is no bromance with anybody. He's Team Daniel. Nah, the friendship bracelets come off. They come off. They go flying in the wind like a tear off. They're gone. No, I like the idea. I like the idea of three cars. Okay, well that's all I have, folks. Thanks for. Uh... Giving, giving us your hot takes and 
strong opinions on these wild and crazy ideas. Well, thanks for bringing them because they we want we like hearing these. We like discussing these because mm-hmm. hypothetical worlds are fun to live in. They are. Is it wrong that I kind of want to see the drivers be in like those two people F1 cars? Yes. But then the background, like the guy in the back is the shooter and they have like a laser battle as well on track with the other cars. Just like, no, no, paintball guns. And it's like points by how many paintball, like how many times you hit the other drivers. That would be like a really fun, maybe not an F1 car because that's probably too fast. It'd be super dangerous if a man is like hanging out with a paintball. But it would be a really fun like karting or... You know, that would be a fun little side special. That'd be hilarious. It would be. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you guys round it off. And then I do have some uh, plugs that I want to get on tape. Okay. Tape. Tape. Old school. Uh, Well, Well, you get it, girl. Go, girl. We've been there and back. Ooh. Ooh. On topics today, we've stayed on track and off into little runoffs here and there, but we did it. We talked a lot about Baku and its history and it as a track and all of the what ifs possible. Yeah. Next week, we're going to be in Miami. We're so excited to get to sit down with some other content creators to hear what some of their ideas are on Formula One and to experience all of it trackside. We'll see you next week. Sometimes when we record our podcast episodes, not everything makes it into the episode, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth listening to. So if you want to hear some of our outtakes from truly the fun and chaotic time that we seem to have every single week, you can check them out over on our YouTube page at Gravel Trap F1, and we look forward to seeing you there. Meow. Yeah.